I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. That's true. That's correct. That's the, the, the most correct thing we'll say today. How are you? I'm awake. How are you? I'm awake because I'm full of coffee and sugar and no water. Okay. Uh, th- does the water make you tired? Well, I think I'll probably crash. Oh, the water. Because uh... I'm all dehydrated and hopped up and then you'll waterboard yourself uh to stay and then i'll drink a gallon in like 10 minutes and feel sick you know there are people abuse children that way by forcing them to drink too much water and then it creates this situation called like hyper oh yeah isn't it it hyper dipsia hypo um well hyper means too much i'm assuming it's hyper i'm looking it up hyper or is it polydipsia hyper Oh, the intense thirst. So I think it's po- hyperdipsia is excessive thirst, but I think polydipsia, the feeling, oh, that's not it either. But it causes like some sort of like, I don't know the Doesn't terms. Your, cell, but it, your cells technically explode? Yeah, but it's specific to like your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what a weird way to yeah, that was abuse people. just at the top of your little head movie today. Yeah. Anyway, I'm back in the USS of A, the, back in the USSR. You don't know how lucky you are. Or, oh, yeah. You know who sings that originally? Segovia Weaver. No. She, you, oh. she, <laughs> yes, yeah, Sigourney Weaver sings in Heartbreakers. That's Paul McCartney's song. Oh, because I was in Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that publicly. Uh, I mean... You know, unfortunately, it wasn't the best trip. It was very well-intentioned, but I think because it was all very rushed and I ended up having to work, really, I didn't get a lot lot of time to relax and I ended up getting sick. Like I had like a little stomach bug because I was vomiting uh, consistently for two days. But I had mentioned in our last... I forget what video, but I had mentioned how terrible the hotels I was staying in were. Mm -hmm. So people were like, say their names. Mm -hmm. Drag her. So I thought about it and I thought, oh, I probably should. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you told me you bought me this trip, I had to find a hotel that, of course, was reasonably priced because I didn't want to spend a ton of money on Mm -hmm. a hotel. So I found some place called Blue Chairs Resort by the Sea. And I was familiar with that because I've been to Puerto Vallarta several times um, during the Atlantis cruises. They mm-hmm. stopped there. So I'd gone for the day and I'd always had fun going for the day. And I was familiar with Blue Chairs because everyone usually goes there mm-hmm. on the boat. And we went, I think, we didn't go to Blue Chairs. We were in that area. So I was familiar. So I thought, okay, that seems fine. And it's not a gay resort. It, it, on their website, it looks kind of gay, but it's not. You can get find it on Orbitz. It just says it's adults only. But child, this shit was a mess. First of all, they have a nightclub. Mm-hmm. So the so reasons I would recommend not staying there, the area is just, it's just so touristy and it's nothing but people like panhandling. And if you haven't been to Puerto Vallarta, you can't even go on the beach because there are people selling their wares mm-hmm. and yeah, what I'm, I'm familiar with that part of it yeah. yeah and what they're selling doesn't even make sense no you can get a toaster you can get some delicious drugs you can get uh, sculptures i mean the drugs make the most sense but the of sculptures course. and the toaster that's not a joke you, no it's not you can't 
people are out there with like full-on statues trying to sell you while you're on the beach drinking a pina colada what am i gonna do with this even if i wanted it like where where how am i gonna get this home but i'll give you my address send it there oh god it's so annoying and you know it's the local I don't want to take away from like local business or whatever, but this is just ridiculous. Like it doesn't make sense that the city allows that because it makes Puerto Vallarta not a very desirable like beach destination unless you go to like the areas where it's more private. You go to the private beach, yeah. But it's just like, yeah, going just to go on to the beach in Puerto Vallarta, like the regular ass public beach is not very appealing. But anyway, but it is right on the ocean. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I only did it one day for like an hour. And it was annoying that tracks mm-hmm. because I can get to it, but the service and PV is not great. Like just generally, like I ate at like 20 different restaurants and went to like two different bars and service is not great. Well, you, I mean, because it takes forever. It takes forever and consistently universally across the board. No one, not a single server was interested in giving me my bill and then once they give it to me, they are not interested in taking payment. I just don't understand yeah, why no. you want me sitting here for an hour and a half. But that's most uh, most of the places I've been in Europe are exact same way. Don't go sit and eat if you are on a time crunch. Oh my god! Because you- <laughs> maybe as an American, like maybe I'm just accustomed to people wanting me in and out. Yes, yes. But I'm, I, I guess I like that because I'm a very busy, very important person. I can't mm-hmm. just sit for 90 minutes and pine over my torta like uh-huh. i'm ready to go yeah i'm ready to go i don't want to sit here any longer but th- but getting I- back to why blue chairs was awful so the location is not i mean it's very convenient to the beach and it's in zona romantica which is the gay area but it's like at the tip so you know just the tip. it's it's quite it's not a long walk but it's definitely not the closest you could be but the hotel itself is so old the service there was not the best. They have a nightclub on the seventh floor, I believe. Oh, and they tell you that mm-hmm. because they make you wear a wristband, which I hate. Mm-hmm. This permanent wristband for your entire stay, okay. which is annoying. All right. Because then when I'm washing my body, it's scraping me. Yes. When I'm sleeping, it's annoying. Very difficult, yes. But you need it because when you come back to the hotel, there's security like stopping you. And they were very aggressive and kind of sketchy because... One day I came back at like six in the morning, Mm -hmm. meaning like I had left at like five to go get coffee and came back at six. But I'm assuming that's probably when people are starting to get back from a night of partying. Mm -hmm. And the security guy was acting all weird and telling me I had to pay to get in. I'm like, I'm staying here. And he wouldn't let me in. And then finally they found someone who spoke English and they were like, oh no, like go ahead. So I don't know what kind of racket he was running. But anyway, the nightclub is loud. Like, they have live singing every night, mm-hmm. and it's from 6 to midnight. Well, that does sound a bit hellacious, yes. I should have recorded it so I could play it right now. But when I say it's, it, it wasn't like a like sort of a consistent thumping that you hear. Like, on the cruise ship, you can hear, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me. This shit sounded like... I mean, it was just unbelievable how loud it was. It was impossible to sleep until they were done at midnight. So if you need to be to bed before midnight and you need to focus between six and midnight, you cannot stay there. There was no Wi-Fi, which was not going to work for me. So I ended up having to get another hotel down the block that had internet. 
And that hotel was called Via Mercedes Petite Hotel. It was cuter, cleaner, but while they had internet, the power would go out like every hour Mm -hmm. consistently for the two and a half days I was there, which was so frustrating. What was even more frustrating is the people who run it or own it. I don't know the manager. They had these two huge dogs, like big old dogs and old living on the property. And from 7 a.m., from what I noticed, until like 7 or 8 p.m., the dogs were just roaming freely throughout the hotel. Mm -hmm. And every time you would come in and out of your room or someone would enter through the main door, they would go apeshit with that old big dog bark, whoa, whoa, just Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time. And they were not friendly looking dogs. And sometimes they'd be sitting like in front of my door. And I was nervous. Like if I walk over this dog, is it going to bite me? Because I've been bitten by a dog. Mm -hmm. That was so unsettling. Would I stay there again? I mean, I'd stay there before the other place, but it was impossible to focus during the day, which is why I got that hotel so I could work. I I couldn't. It was, I mean, I did, but it was just like, there are dogs, there were like 50 rooms in this hotel. So that means every like 10 minutes, the dogs are barking. It was so distracting. I guess I would not like that either. So sorry to say, like PV is probably not a destination I would go to, like, again, just as a trip on its own. Um, There are other places in Mexico I much prefer. I like Mexico City. Like Mexico City or Guadalajara. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked. So I would definitely go back there again. Also, the food, none of the food was great. It's all touristy and overpriced because they're charging you, like, Sure. Well, I mean, I, U.S. money, I, basically. I bought you that ticket because you said you wanted to go. It was but... such a nice gift, a nice thought, and I appreciated it. And it, I mean, the trip wasn't a nightmare. It was just like so stressful. But if we think about it, Puerto Vallarta is, as they refer to it here, the West Hollywood of Mexico. So <laughs> yes. I, yeah. And the gay bars, I only went to, I, I went to two. The one that I went to that I told you I had so much fun. Mm-hmm. I went there twice and had like two drinks and then a third a third time which was actually the second time i stood in line so long waiting for service i got mad and left because the one bartender was like left from behind the bar to go talk to a group of guys and Uh kept going like i'll be right there and i could see that he was like socializing Mm -hmm. so i couldn't deal with it and walked out and then another bar i went to um i didn't realize they were cash only and i didn't have cash so I ordered a drink and then I gave the guy my card like, oh, you can just hold it. And he's like, we don't take cards. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I don't have cash. He was nice about it. He said, you can have the drink, but we don't take. So I had I enjoyed a drink there, but a nice free drink, a nice free drink. Um, and the, and again, the food was not great. The only place I ate that I really enjoyed my food was I was walking by a building and there was this guy standing in front really handsome friendly guy who spoke like perfect english mm-hmm. and he's like hey are you interested in are you because i was kind of looking in the building because it looks so different from everything else around it very like clean nothing in it stark you know like no all the services nothing was on them so i was looking in it and he's like oh are you interested in vegan food it sounds like a sanitarium the way you described it. oh it was lovely so <laughs> i was like yeah sure so 
I sit down and I ordered like this bowl that was just like spinach and garbanzo beans and pecans and vegan cheese. And I ordered a smoothie and that was the best food I ate in Puerto Vallarta. And it wasn't even Mexican. So yeah, compared to when we've been to Mexico city, the food was like, I mean, that's like the best Mexican food. Well, and it was always not the most expensive places. Right. Because we went to some fancy restaurants in Mexico city. And I remember feeling like, okay, they're trying hard. But they were nice restaurants yeah, and the course. prices were very reasonable. Of course, but I mean, the quality, the taste. Of the but food. the food we ate at the more mom and pop places, mm-hmm. I mean, was like exquisite. Nothing I ate. And I had Mexican food many times in Puerto Vallarta. None of it was. <laughs> but anyway, that was 10 minutes of me going on about that. Well, sorry to hear. We'll go somewhere else. Send you somewhere else next time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I actually, I need to, I have that flight that's going to expire on Southwest from like before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But let's move on to, you were asked about the Andrea Riseborough situation. So that's the actor who was nominated for the movie To Leslie. Which I still have to watch. And then people are talking about the nomination being revoked. So I was reading about it because... I'm thinking like, well, aren't all the Academy members basically like industry people? So you mean to tell me that none of these industry people are reaching out to their other industry people friends to like. But it's not in public. It's not. Well, so I was trying to read like, what about this is so like different? That Instagram. Because I see we live in L.A., like in Hollywood, basically. Like, I mean, we see all of the for your consideration. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to understand what does she do that's so different? So I was reading that what. What she did that is making this a little more problematic is that she posted on her Instagram a review from Richard Roper, something he wrote in the Chicago Mm Sun-Times. And it basically, I'm just going to read the first part of what he wrote that she reposted. As much as I admired Blanchett's work in Tar, my favorite performance by a woman this year was delivered by the chameleon-like Andrea Riseborough and director Michael Morris's searing drama, blah, blah, blah. So that's the problem. She posted something, and according to the um, uh, the Academy Oscar whatever committee rules, you cannot make reference to other nominees. Other, yes. So that's where she effed up. Okay. Which I don't know if that seems totally egregious to me, but uh, I mean, rules are rules, and if you know if you're participating in this thing, you're supposed to know the rules, and you broke it, so it is what it is. But I'm, you know. I still am rolling my eyes like you can't tell me that all of these people don't reach out to friends and and, and campaign internally. To me, this feels like Martha Stewart getting arrested for insider trading. They know something fishy happened, but this is the only thing, the only evidence that they can muster that, you know, kind of violates a rule. Because I've heard it compared to the show rag Dash Lou, uh, there was an ad back for the campaign for house of sand and fog in 2003 or four um but i'm not super interested in this lady or what's happening but i did want to go over i was reading about some rescinded yeah none of them for acting though that's why i mean not that i don't care about the other categories but um i had never heard of another acting nomination be rescinded because that technically hasn't happened yet well so i was reading about some so apparently charlie chapman chaplin, chaplin sorry I, Not, think... I was thinking tracy chapman in my head he the the movie the circus was nominated for a bunch of awards mm-hmm. back in like the first year that the academy awards were organized which i think was the late 20s mm-hmm. whatever year that was 
he the, the year wings won it, it was nominated for best picture best writer best director and then he got a bunch of nominations so they revoked all of his individual nominations and just gave him like an honorary award so that the movie wouldn't sweep all the awards so that has happened mm -hmm. then there's a movie called hondo yeah with uh, john wayne in 1984 that was nominated for best story i want to say geraldine page is in that but the academy discovered uh and he was the writer apparently but the academy discovered that the um the movie story was not original that it was copied from a short story called the gift of cochise mm -hmm. and that that story was not even that original sure like, so mm -hmm. so they took that shit away then there's a movie called um high society Mm -hmm. and they awarded the they nominated the writers of that movie edward burns and elwood ullman but they confused them with there was another movie called high society in 1955 <laughs> and they intended to nominate the 1956 movie but they nominated the writers of the 1955 movie so that's embarrassing that is but that's people not paying attention to the details then there was a movie that won best documentary in 1969 called um young americans yeah wasn't it because of the year and they had to revoke that because it had been released in 1967 yes, so. not 1968 so that's shitty yeah and then the godfather um had to give back an award for composition because they part of that music had been used in another movie yeah like some or no like the, the composer used some of their old work in that movie sure. so it's not original so they took that back but then that same composer won for the godfather too mm -hmm. so um there's a foreign language movie called a place in the world um that was uruguay or was it that it was an a movie it was the submission from uruguay oh but but then they found out that it was actually an argentinian film yeah, <laughs> that it didn't have enough like uruguay in it to be considered right so that's interesting then there's a movie uh this is back in 2012 uh that was nominated for best short film called tuba atlantic um i believe it was a norwegian film and they had to rescind that because they found out that that short film had been released on norwegian tv mm -hmm. first which is against the rules a big no-no yeah so i mean all, those all seem pretty like legit to me yeah except the charlie chaplin the charlie one. chaplin that feels like, like well if i mean if that fool is gonna sweep the award let him sweep it like right who else who else was doing better right there? but back then there were so there weren't as many people so sure they i think i can sense people the studio trying not to anger everybody else that's working in hollywood right um so julian sands yeah he's missing yeah i don't it's not looking good no for people who don't know julian sands is an actor who's best known for the films well i guess like the one i've seen is boxing helena yes but he's in like leaving las vegas the killing fields oh yeah tons of stuff um, i do recognize a uh, horror film called warlock he's pretty handsome you've seen him in several things but yeah he's the one that is obsessed with uh, helena sherilyn fenn in the jennifer chambers lynch uh cult classic but anyway for those who don't know on january 13th of this year um he went missing while hiking in mount baldy california which is in the san gabriel mountains northeast of la and as of 
today he has not been located which hit the search was made complicated because we had all that rain yeah and then there were avalanches reported yeah so it's not looking good and his family is just basically released statements saying they really appreciate all the efforts and then one of julian sand's brothers whose name is nick he's quoted as saying i have come to terms with the fact he's gone and for me that's how i've dealt with it Ooh. that's pretty sad yeah because it's like it can't i mean damn i mean it's over two weeks so true um, he's you know an older gentleman like and there was like pretty bad rain for like over a week i mean he's probably buried under i hope not but it's just i can't imagine unless he did something kind of fabulous and like just disappeared from his life staged his own death i mean i would hope that that's what he did he staged his own death and he's living the good life in like mumbai in 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 privacy he might have already been living the good life though but no but you know i mean who knows i mean he's yeah i don't know yeah but that's sad I, i you know I feel bad for the people who care about him. You wanted to talk about the Razzies and the Firestarter. Oh, that was just a suggestion. I don't know. Oh, you can if you have thoughts. I, I know people are upset that they that the Razzies shouldn't be involving children. Well, speaking about rescinding nominations, uh, they rescinded the nomination after controversy over nominating the the twelve year old star of the Firestarter remake. Well, you know, I do often criticize children, and every time I do, I always say I, I hate talking about kids. But this performance was not great, and I we did review Firestarter, mm-hmm. and I also did not think this little girl did a good job. And it's not her first movie, so should they be allowed to like publicly say they don't? I mean, yeah, I, I said th- I it. I think so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, part of the public forum. You put this art out here, and it's not good. I mean, we have a video where I said this girl didn't do a good job with her role. So, I mean, I can't say that the Razzie shouldn't say it. I think that it's it probably seems mean spirited because who's listening to me? But of course, everyone knows about the Razzies. So, it, it you can say it's mean spirited, but. I don't know. I, I, that's part of the game that is being played. I, I don't know why. So, I guess if you're a parent who lets your kids be a public figure, it's kind of like, well, they're going to be, I mean, they're going to, because they're working, right? And if you if you let your kid work at, uh, I mean, you can't work as a kid at like Walmart, but like if you let your kid do any other job, they get performance, you know, someone has to be able to critique their performance. performance reviews. Uh, and also everybody's up in arms about this, this child maybe feeling a certain way about this you know shameful nomination but it's like y'all let dina lohan do whatever she wanted to do with her kids and the culkins and 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 the jacksons and every, we allow these children in entertainment to i think if we are so way. concerned about children's safety then we need to protect these children and say they can't they're not allowed to you know what i mean like or i don't know i don't know and granted, there are labor rules and blah, 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 blah. But it's like you allow their parents to uh, run them around like they're monkeys in a circus. So I think if you put your child out there, then you're exposing them to all kinds of weird shit, right? I mean, yes. even beyond just criticism, it's like there are a lot of like, like, I don't know what word to use, except I want to say perverts out there who like, well, you know, like, like imagery of children and things like, I mean, you, you know, you get your, even like, I don't know why John Bonet Rams is in my head, but like, sure. you know, you, you have these images of this girl all done up and wearing like two piece outfits and make full ma- hair and makeup. And she's like a little girl. Well, and then you let those images go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Like 
I don't feel like that was protecting her. <laughs> Tatum O'Neill at Studio 54, or I just watched that Brooke Shields documentary about when she was playing that 11 year old prostitute and there's, there's nudity from Brooke Shields. And it's like, uh, I'm granted that was the seventies, but even still there, are, you know, that there are things that these kids are exposed to in the entertainment industry and nobody's sounding an alarm about that. Well, to be clear, I don't think, I'm not saying that children shouldn't be allowed to work in entertainment. What I'm saying is that if I had a kid and my kid wanted to be an actor and I let them do it, then I would be very clear on and, and very protective of like, they can't be on social media. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to homeschool them so other kids don't pick on them. We've had several parents of children. Reviews we've done where we have given like praise to like the child actors. We've had several parents of the children reach out to us through like the official Instagram account sure. of that child. So this child actor has an Instagram account, but they don't run it. They don't have access to it. Yeah, it's the parents or whomever, the guardians. And then those people will reach out and say, thank you for the kind words or whatever. That's how you do it. Like, yeah, obviously if you're an entertainer, you need a public persona, but the kids shouldn't be have access to that. Right. Not until they're old enough. So there are, I, I, I would imagine, I could imagine ways to protect my child who I'm allowing to be a public persona. So the point I'm trying to make is if her, if that little girl from Firestarter's parents are doing it right, she shouldn't really even know about the Razzies. Correct. And if she does, it's not bothering her. Right. So we don't need to worry about, we, we can't worry about other people's children and how they're raising them. The Razzies can say whatever they want. I already said that girl was shitty in the movie. So, you know, she was period like, and hopefully she will never hear this and her parents don't let us. Well, and just like Drew Barrymore was not good in the original either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can we take a break? Sure. Okay. So no more Madonna biopic, which we kind of talked about before, but I was reading that, well, cause you know, originally it was said that because now she's doing the world tour, mm -hmm. she's not going to do the biopic, but then, you know, like page six was reporting, like people close to her saying that the reason it didn't go through is because I believe universal was the, mm -hmm. they wanted something sort of like pop and light. They wanted like a fun light pop movie about Madonna and she wanted something much more gritty and that's why she said no like that she'll focus on the tour and then when she comes back she wants to find um a film studio that will let her make her grittier story someone will finance that and yeah. that she wanted to focus more on sort of what it was like being a woman in the industry and you know so I Good for her. You know, the you know, after I read that, I'm I was thinking, I bet the script is focusing on when she first moved to New York and all the shit she had to go through to sort of get her first hit. But the problem with that story is that that movie would not include any of her big songs. So sure. if I were an executive, I'd be like, Well, that's not the movie I want. Like people like Madonna for the hits. That's why you're going on a global tour called Celebration, where you're doing all your number one songs. But then you want to give me a movie where we hear that little shitty band you were in before you were Madonna. No one wants to hear that. I want to hear Vogue, Cherish, Like a Prayer. I want to hear all those songs. Sure. Material Girl. I want to have a reproduction of that. So she probably left the studio feeling like you are giving us zero opportunity to capitalize on your immense very successful catalog sure, and i'd imagine that there are probably a lot of elements about her rise to fame that aren't unlike say what the movie blonde might feel like yeah you know yeah it, it 
Yeah, actually, I wonder if that's I, uh, a woman in the 80s, uh, a beautiful woman in the 80s. You know that she probably experienced a, a lot of things that nobody wants to confront or hear about. So I, I'm not surprised at that. But good for her. If that's if that's actually the reason um, somebody will give her the creative control she needs. Uh, just something that popped into my mind, because do you recall who Nadia Sulman is? Uh, what that name is familiar. She was Octomom. Oh yeah, her kids just the the eight because she has fourteen kids, but the eight the octuplets mm -hmm. they just turned fourteen. Wow, like a week ago, I think. Yeah, because that was like two thousand nine. But doesn't it feel so much longer ago that that happened? It does, because that means that she had these kids and you and I were together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I was in college when that happened. No. So I don't know no. how. And that lady is only like 47. Yeah. I thought she would. Wow. Time. In regards to this subject, time feels so weird because I for sure thought that that lady was in her 60s now. And that I remember her when I was like working in the casino, which oh, would yeah, have been no. like 20 years ago. No, I remember her from I, I was out of college for sure. And Wow. Anyway, yeah, that I just wanted to bring that up because I for sure thought that these kids would have been much older. <laughs> but back in like, I think the most recent interview she did was maybe like in 2019 or 2017. Michael Apps had used to had a series of documentaries following these kids and every seven years there would be a new installment. The, oh, yes. The, the Up series. Yeah. Somebody needs to do something with this. Well, these in, kids. 20, in, in 2019, an Australian like news program did a special on her and they talked about um well she says in the thing that at the time she was absolutely young dumb irresponsible selfish and reckless but that she does not regret of course having any of her children mm -hmm. and then the the reporter of this thing um commented that she ran her household with military precision and that the children seemed happy healthy and well-mannered so that's good to hear sure. like You'd almost, I mean, if that really is a functional family, uh, you'd really have to do something like that with that many little bodies in mind. You know, I have very strong opinions about like overpopulation and reproductive rights and all that. But the reality is like people, you know, people want to go on and on about this lady having eight kids, but it's like, it's done. She did it. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to do it, girl. I'm not going to do it. I did. I did it. Like it's done. Mm -hmm. It's done. So now it's like, now we have these living things that mm -hmm. need to be nurtured and cared for. So it's just kind of sad that like there's so much hoopla around these human beings that are already alive and living and like, <laughs> like, let's focus on taking care of them now. Cause then it was like, she's on public assistance and okay, fine. But that's not her kid's fault. They didn't ask to be here. These little test two babies did not ask to be here. True. So now that they are, let's love and protect them and make sure they have all the basic things they need. Let's just hope they're not more of an insidious and experiment, stop. like uh, cloning Joseph Mengele and the boys from <laughs> Brazil. And yeah, and like, stop dragging this lady. Clearly she has some issues. Like, as we all do, as we all do. And it's too late now. Like what's done is done. And I, you know, I'm glad I'm, I want to believe that these kids are happy, healthy and well-mannered. <laughs> I feel uh, like they'd have to be with the amount of scrutiny though, that she received, but whatever. And you know, the other thing is I'm sure she's a lovely lady. Like, you know, like I'm sure she's a sweet she clearly, she clearly wanted to be a mom, so I'm sure she has that nurture caretaker. Well, she's definitely not like P. Isadora in A Lonely Lady. Oh, God. If you haven't seen A Lonely Lady, 
or the lonely, the lonely lady. lady, the lonely lady. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend. Oh, oh, I want to talk about Chelsea Handler. Okay, how old do you think she is? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, she's a little rough around the edges, looking for. Should I pull up a picture of her for you? I know what she looks like. No, but I mean, like uh, twenty twenty three. She's picture. probably in her fifties. I like. Let me say also say that I I find her very smart and funny, and I do as well. Uh, I, I appreciate her. But you know, do you see her? I, I, yeah, I mean, she's she's running into Sarah Jessica Parker territory here. She's forty seven. Oh my god! Well, okay, but I'm bringing that up not to shade her because I do like her. But she did an interview. Um, I believe she was on a podcast, maybe, and she was talking about her anti aging doctor. You know why I like Chelsea Handler because she she's very open about yeah. things, and she's very like she talks like. It's very obvious she's rich. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that she just talks like, yeah, I took my private job with my dogs. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, my maid did this. Yeah, my anti-aging doctor. But I think it's funny that she has an anti-aging doctor as she looks older than her stated age. <laughs> but anyway, she was in the news regarding that because are you familiar with the drug Ozempic? No. You know, in Mexico, the pharmacia is very popular. Because oh, you can, I do know that. So like, and there's a pharmacia, like every third structure is a pharmacy. And they were selling Ozempic. And I already knew what Ozempic was because it's like this new Hollywood weight loss drug, which is actually treatment for type 2 diabetes. Oh, I God. believe I just like other type 2 diabetes drugs, um, I, from what I recall, they induce the production of insulin, mm-hmm. which retrieves sugar, which I guess would help you lose weight. So a lot of Hollywood types are taking this type 2 diabetes drug to lose weight. Okay. So Chelsea Handler was on this thing talking about that she was on Ozempic for like a year and didn't know. Okay. That her anti-aging doctor just gave it to her and she never, she knew that she was losing weight, but she didn't know what it was. But here's the real gag. Ozempic is not a pill. It's an injection. Okay. So I feel like you were letting people inject you with shit and you didn't know what it was. Oh, I believe it. What the fuck did you like for real? But then I thought maybe that is true because she was on another show, like a, like a Fallon or a Kimmel or something. And this bitch said that it wasn't until seven years ago. So she was 40 Mm -hmm. when she was on a trip to Africa with her sister on a goddamn elephant or something that she realized that the sun and the moon are two different things she thought they were the same okay all right well so i'm thinking okay if this lady didn't know the sun and the moon are two different things uh she made it seem like she thought that like as the earth spins the how the sun shines on the like yeah we see the moon because of the sun shining on it but because that's something else bitch but Okay. Yeah. What's her highest level of education? Okay. But then she does seem so smart. So I don't know. I still really enjoy her. Well, you I, can be smart without having a formal education. I just think that's a, a lady who is talking about her anti-aging doctor who looks 10 years older than her stated age didn't know that the drug that was being injected into her, that they shouldn't even know what it was, let alone that it was this sort of trendy drug that's meant for um, people with type 2 diabetes. <laughs> To me, that was funny. Um, lastly, before we get into film topics, uh, mm-hmm. there's this TikToker named Chris Olson. I don't know who he is. I looked up his picture. He reminds me of uh, Pete Wentz. He looks like that to okay, me. Sure. Anyway, he made a, people were making fun of him because he made a TikTok saying that we need to end STI stigma because he was saying like he had chlamydia three times and he brought that up to say like the nurse who helped him 
he goes to her regularly to get tested. He must be on prep. So he knows her and she was trying to set him up with her son. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about that because she's like, well, I can't break HIPAA violations. So I can't tell him about you, but I can tell you about him and give you his name. And if you want to look him up on Instagram, maybe you can DM him, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, we need to end STI stigma. And then of course, everyone's like, I can't believe he said that. But then I was thinking about it and I thought, no, I think that's good, but not just because I think gay men talk about STIs more openly. Mm -hmm. Like people will just say in conversation, like, oh yeah, I had chlamydia. Uh, If you're having casual sex in the gay community, you are guaranteed to get something. You need to get tested regularly. You need to know your status. You need to protect yourself. And we need to make people feel like they can say it. Like, so, because then people don't say it and then they're just spreading it. They're spreading it. But then, you know, there's a whole trend where people don't want to be confronted with that or they don't like there's, there are a lot of behaviors that are. But the reason, the reason I brought it up is because I, you know, I don't, I, I, in talking, you know, I have a lot of experience talking to women, like one-on-one doing Mm -hmm. hair. And the sense I get is that a lot of women aren't as aware of like their sexual health and sexual health options. Mm -hmm. And partially I think because women aren't, you know, the stigma is that you don't want to be considered like promiscuous. Mm -hmm. And so even if you are out here having a lot of casual sex, you're not going to tell anyone. And certainly like getting tested regularly for STIs, especially if you're in a relationship, because I remember once asking a a lady, like, has she been tested? Mm -hmm. And she was so offended. Mm -hmm. Like, well, no, I have a boyfriend and it's like, still get tested. You don't know. And I remember having a conversation with her, like, cause yeah because i was just explaining to her like you know a lot of these men are out here having sex and you know in la prior to the pandemic and this is for all of the ladies out who are listening to us i suppose like you know there are places and i'm not trying to you know tyler perry once was like um i remember he got attention because in one of his shows and i was at the show he was like oh if you ladies like if you want to know if your man is cheating on you this is the one thing you need to do. Like, this is the one thing you check. And then he's like, no, no, I'm not going to say it. And, you know, so then it was like, why would you tell every man's secret? And it's like, oh God. But I feel like there are a lot of men out here who identify as straight and who have girlfriends, wives, children with these women who are having sex with men, mm-hmm. not just having affairs with other women, they're having sex with men. Mm-hmm. And there are, especially in bigger cities, there are places men could go, especially before the pandemic, because many of them closed down during the pandemic, like sex clubs, bathhouses. There are cruising areas that are known mm-hmm. where men can go and pay $20 and go inside this building. Oh, you can go to a place for free. And have, you can go for free. and have sex with other men. And it's, and it's nothing. Like, it's like, and they like that mm-hmm. because it's nothing. Like, it's like 10 minutes. It's like literally on their lunch break, they can go. And so for that reason, I think it's important to get tested. Also, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but my understanding is that for people who have female reproductive organs, um, a lot, it's more common for STIs to be asymptomatic in those people. Mm -hmm. Whereas for men, it's usually very obvious. Like, well, chlamydia is not obvious in men, but I, I, right. Men can also be, or, or if it's in your throat. 
Right. But I, but I think, um, well, for, and for gay men, you know, many of us, especially in bigger cities get tested very regularly. Well, and also, you know, going to, uh, a medical practitioner that realized that you have to test locally uh, where the action is happening. Like- yeah, that's another piece of advice. Like, you know, most of the standard STI, like if you do that standard screen, it's just like urine and blood. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need to have your your throat swabbed, urethra swabbed, your, your throat anus. swabbed, and your anus, well, rectum well, swabbed. Well, urethra is usually just a urine sample, but... But but they will swab your urethra. Oh, I've never had that. You've never had that? No. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that sounds like a sounding. Yeah. It was uncomfortable. Mm-mm. But, you know, sometimes, but, well, but that's if you have like persistent yes, issues yeah. and they're saying like, well, the test is coming back negative, you might need a swab. So, yeah, I just, everyone needs to get checked regularly. You don't know what these people are doing out here. I don't trust anyone. Like there, there's always opportunity and people will take that opportunity. And <laughs> yeah, especially for people who are in what they think are monogamous relationships. Oh yeah. Those are the, the, the somebody's crawling with, uh, and I have enough experience with men to know that like, and this is just people in general, I believe like people can't be deprived too long of what they want. They'll, they'll go get it. No one is that, no, there, there aren't these martyrs out here who are like sitting around on their thumbs like well i'm not satisfied so i guess this is my life no they're out there doing whatever they want to do and then if they get caught up then it's just going to be like well you know you won't give me what i want i mean that's people know that's true they don't want to believe it so you can be delusional but at least get tested so that <laughs> you yeah, can stay so healthy you can protect yourself because yeah. people are lying but Okay, I'm done ranting. We need to talk about you just finished watching 32 films for the Sundance Film Festival. Uh-huh. So you're gonna run through your top five. And I wouldn't do top ten because I don't know if there were ten good movies I saw there. Well, I was in the room, you know, briefly for some of these screenings and they were crunchy. But last year I felt the same too. I feel I've <laughs> I have attended Sundance in some capacity since 2012. And I have always felt that it's very Sundance E, where uh, these little dramas for people that they keep inviting back for the most part. Uh, and again, there are a lot of excellent filmmakers that return to Sundance quite a bit. But I don't know. It's it's so tedious watching a lot of these uh, American indie films that are oh so cliched. And and I I don't know. And I love independent cinema. It's just that this is not the stomping grounds that I like to return to, but there were, I, again, well, my impression you're much more experienced, but because I watch a lot of things because of you, my impression of Sundance is a lot of it feels like people's first films, which is fine. Whereas yeah. like when I watch particularly stuff like from Berlin, edgier. It, yeah. And, and like, yeah, like it's more like a step seasoned filmmakers, maybe yeah. not popular, but like they've made films and the quality are, is higher. Yes, Sundance. Uh, you know, they're especially with their competition films for for the U.S. dramatic, which is the important one. They have a world dramatic competition too, but because we are in uh, the U.S. and people don't like to read, uh, the thing that only gets any attention is the U.S. dramatic. That's always the one that's like, oh, that one Sundance. Well, technically, there are several winners, but my impression too is that Sundance really wants to seem like diverse, and so they which is great. I, I love that. But I think it's like, well, maybe you're not, maybe, maybe the quality is not the most important thing to you as much as like we have a, 
the, Iranian filmmaker we're going to highlight. Okay. And, and her film was fine. Uh, <laughs> but, but yes, I think I wasn't trying to shade that particular film, but I was just trying to think of an example. Persian version, which had a lot of things I did like in it too. But um, yes, that, that is that it seems to be, it's ruled by this sort of political correctness um, that I also see Toronto, the Toronto international film festival doing, quite a bit and trying to avoid any potential scandal in their selection. It's like, Oh, that's also neutered, but uh, yeah, that said, I saw some excellent things. I saw some, something surprising. I never see out of a Sundance film. Um, well, here, go through your top five, my top five. Actually, this, this did take home the top prize in the U S dramatic was a thousand and one uh, directed by AV Rockwell. And it's about a woman in New York in the early 90s and who's released from Rikers Island and kidnaps her son and uh, builds a life with him. But of course, has can never tell him that his real identity and it hobbles him as he becomes a young adult. And the mother's played by Tiana Taylor. And I oh. felt, and I really liked her performance and I felt so bad because I was talking about the movie ahead of time thinking like, Oh, I got to watch this Tiana Taylor movie where she plays a bad mom. She's not playing a bad mom. She's doing something, but based on the description of it, I was, I, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be like the black Sherry baby. But uh, yeah, she has some really, there's some profound dialogue that doesn't seem false or that that's kind of poetic and wise and i i i was actually very impressed with her in that film keep going uh cat person directed by susanna susanna fogel who i've seen her previous work uh forgetting with uh jillian gillian jacobs i'm forgetting the name life partners was that anyway she's uh directing this one solo it was part of the premiere section it's about a young woman played by amelia jones who is in another film at the festival fairyland but playing a young woman dealing with her gay dad in 70s san francisco but anyway it's about this woman that works at a, a movie theater and this uh older gentleman uh romances her and it's it's kind of about the energy you put out there and uh, it's about how you make people feel and fooling them. And then she kind of ghosts this guy and it goes haywire. Uh, but I, it, and it went in a direction that I thought were going to be cliched, but were absolutely not. So I, I actually was very impressed with that. And the lead actor, uh, Amelia Jones. Keep going. Passages, the new Ira Sachs film, who I interviewed at my first Sundance for Keep the Lights On. But he is usually an excellent filmmaker and... I was very happy with this. Uh, Franz Rogowski plays a film director mm. who's in a long-term relationship with Ben Wishaw, and he meets Adele Exarchopoulos and begins an affair with her and leaves Ben Wishaw. But, and then she gets pregnant, and then it becomes too real for him, and he tries to go back to Ben Wishaw, who's kind of moved on with this other man. Uh, it, it's very messy, and of course, he kind of ends up, you know, the gamble is he loses by being this selfish person, loses both lovers. But I like Franz Rogowski. I do too. He's very, uh, he's got this sweetness about him. If you're out there, I'd love to have coffee with you. Okay. Well, he's, he might be in Berlin. He's got films there. Oh, well. Maybe I, I'll see you in Berlin. I'd have coffee with you too. And I, I don't think he's gay, uh, but he's played a, a homosexual a couple times. Uh, and then this is the film that I was very surprised at, especially because I was so irritated with it as it began rotting in the sun, the new Sebastian Silva film where 
he's playing himself as this depressed man who's fantasizing about going to uh, uh, Mexico to buy poly bar, poly this dog poison to kill himself. Uh, oh, what is it called, and where can you get it? Well, we were, you know where to get it. We were just talking about things you can get in Mexico pharmacies. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I need to make a mental note. Keep going. Oh, oh God. Anyway, he's this dep- he's playing a version of himself, this depressed filmmaker, and he goes to this gay nude beach and runs and saves Jordan Firstman from drowning, who's also playing himself, who was just in the film uh, You People. He has a small role in that as well. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, and I, I'm not that familiar with Jordan Firstman, but all I could say is this is a very, he must be a fun person because to put himself out there like that, if you're not familiar with him, you might think he'd be one of the most top 10 obnoxious people in the world. Uh, but <laughs> he's playing this this uh, viciously gay stereotype kind of of a social media influencer who's completely narcissistic. Oh, I would like to watch that. Uh, but I, I don't want to, since this isn't us spoiling anything, but I can't wait for you to see this film. And there are things that you about kind of how gays are when they get together and are so frivolous and the behaviors that happen. Uh, yeah. And also starring the woman, I'm forgetting her name. That was headlined Sebastian Silva's the maid who is not playing a version of herself, but I found very satisfying in this. Uh, and then my top, my favorite film was actually uh, William Oldroyd's Eileen and previously he directed Lady Macbeth with Florence Pugh. This stars Anne Hathaway and, uh, oh God, what's her name? Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie uh, as women that are working in this 1950s boys prison. Uh, and that's some very interesting things happening as well. And it kind of, it kind of ends at a point where like, oh, this is the film where it's getting the most interesting. So it's, it's very unpredictable and strange. And increasingly, I think as Anne Hathaway gets older, I'm liking her a lot more. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just found this highly enjoyable. Do you think you can get through your Berlin top five most anticipated in five minutes? Sure. Okay. So please continue. I think everybody's a little bit disappointed. You know, anytime there's not a lot of Hollywood or American presence at the Berlin Film Festival, everybody's like up in arms about it but i think that's great and fine because that's where you have interesting discoveries but of the notable names to me that i'm interested in uh joao canijo a portuguese filmmaker who i actually interviewed him back in 2012 at the afi film festival festival for blood of my blood he has two films that are apparently corresponding versions of each other or something of that nature bad living and living bad one is playing in the competition and the one is playing in the also uh competitive sidebar encounters uh so i can't i i love shit like that but it sounds very interesting revolving around women in working this or owning this hotel uh, next is The Beast in the Jungle, which is, I forget which sidebar, Panorama maybe, gay filmmaker Patrick Chiha, uh, about these uh, set across the decades in this nightclub where an event is waiting to happen. And most interestingly, it is based on a Henry James novella, who is an author I adore. And I think the Bertram Bonello film that's coming out later this year is also based on the same novella, but with a wildly different premise somehow. Uh, next... <clears throat> Music from Angela Shanalek, who's uh, a, a, fil- a German filmmaker I've liked for quite some some time. I loved her last film. I was home. I was at home, but which I think she won Best Director for in Berlin. Uh, it's kind of based on a Greek tragedy. Was it Oedipus? I don't remember now. But excited for that. Next, Manadrome, the latest film from South African director John Trengove, who's 
the wound from 2017 i really liked and he's the one who's with marco dutra uh his latest stars jesse eisenberg and it's about a man whose girlfriend gets pregnant and he spirals out of control and finds this weird community or family of men that sounds very insidious and strange uh can't wait for that that's in the competition and my most anticipated is from the new berlin school filmmaker christian petzold who made a gay film called a fire uh which i can't wait to see uh of petzold's films i i, I love uh, everything he did with nina haas but oh god barbara phoenix which are films you need to see that i haven't showed you yet you did see his last film, Undina, with Franz Rogowski. Okay, since you did such a good job, we can fit in a question someone sent about the movie Close, mm -hmm. which we reviewed. It's about the two boys like who seem like they have a gay relationship. Mm -hmm. We never find out, but then the one kills himself because he's been rejected by the other. Okay, uh, someone asked, like, how could the parents have not warned the children about the expectation society would place on them? and maybe prepare them for that. And I thought that was a good question. That is something that's missing from the movie. I thought you addressed it a little bit by saying the one's parents are just so busy that yeah, with yeah. their with their family business. And then the other one, the mom seems like she works a lot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess as a parent, I feel like I'm doing the best I can. Like I love my child, I'm creating a safe space for them. I'm trying to provide for my family, you know, it it's asking a lot to then be like, you know what I mean? And then I, I can imagine if like you're living in this world where you're, you're happy for your kid and you're doing the best you can. I can imagine not focusing on the negativity and letting that slip on by. I think it's also not wanting a certain period to end of childhood innocence for the parents as well. Yeah. Because once they have to have that talk with them, like, look, we think you might be gay and that's okay. You know, they might not be ready to confront that either, or maybe they're just accepting of it and, it stirred up, you know, that particular scenario stirred up memories of my own like junior high experience where I had a friend like that who is straight and has kids now, but we had a very close, intimate relationship and neither of our, and our parents could tell. And like mine were horrified by it. And his were the, his were the open ones. The Emile Duquesne uh, mother was like that. And was like a safe space. Like they were actually, because things were really bad with my parents for a while and they were actually making moves to adopt me <laughs> if I wanted to go forward with a movement like that. And I think they could tell that I loved their son, but they know, nobody had a conversation with me like that. Cause I, I think that parents, depending on where they are, you know, rural France, they don't know how to do that. Oh God. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, uh, we need to take another break. Okay, there is something in the sorry to this man section oh, because God. when I for the you people video, I commented that like Lauren London's character is sort of made to seem like she's from the ghetto, but I don't understand why the parents like Jonah Hill's parents like I people didn't like that I said, well, she's pretty and smart, so I don't know why they felt so disarmed by her. And I think people took that as me trying to say like she can't be ghetto because she's pretty and smart. And so I, I definitely don't want anyone to think that's what I was implying. In fact, uh, so that's like, if, if people thought that's what I was saying, I'd want to correct that because that is absolutely not. Also, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and I'm the, the epitome of glamour and sophistication. Mm -hmm, so, sure. you know, you can, uh, a rose can grow out of the concrete. But anyway, <laughs> no, what I was trying to say is that it, because we also see 
you know, Eddie Murphy and Nia Long's characters are very put together people. Mm -hmm. We see Eddie Murphy driving an S-Class Mercedes, Mm -hmm. like a $100,000 car. So the fact, so I was very confused. Like, why is the movie saying that they're from like Inglewood and then he's from West L.A.? When it looks like Nia and Eddie look like money in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's driving a super expensive car. Um, and Lauren London's character seems like she's had everything she's ever needed. Mm-hmm. So I think what I was what I was trying to say is that it seems so confusing that Jonah Hill's parents are meeting this very put together young lady. And they still seem uncomfortable with her, mm-hmm. which I kind of felt like I related to that version of her character, which there were also a lot of comments about how people didn't like that she was so fair skinned, which I also agree with. I sure. really wish she would have been a darker skinned black woman. Sure. She's it, she's mixed race, but, you know, but it but it would have made more sense. I, I think it doesn't make sense because the script, the script seems written for uh, based on comments Eddie Murphy is making in that movie for somebody that is darker skin yeah and i think just as someone who is biracial and i think people often i've been told many many times like oh you don't seem black Mm -hmm. and then oftentimes that's followed by some racist comment they make what are you that well I, i i feel like i'm disarming to a lot of people like i'm a very palatable version of a black person so then people say real loose shit to me because mm-hmm. they feel like well you're not one of them mm-hmm. well so, loose chat it's usually white people anyway. that's what i mean so i was con- so i i felt like jonah hill's parents would have interpreted lauren london like that like oh well you're not like a real black person so i don't need to yeah they, there would have been things like that I think. they were treating yeah. her like Issa ray walked in the room yeah yeah mm-hmm like like a much more confident boisterous darker skinned black woman who would be intimidating to them right. because she is speaking up for herself yes lauren london's character is not speaking up for herself she's much fairer skinned and doesn't present as like aggressively right so that's why i was saying that like but poor choice of words to say like she was pretty and smart i i, I was trying to say that she just seems kind of like how i feel like a watered down version of a black person that oftentimes white people seem more comfortable with me which is sounds terrible to say that but that's how i always felt because people tell me that Mm -hmm. you don't seem black oh you're not like one of them which people have said that to me yeah i know and then they'll say that and go like i mean i used to have a friend an older white woman who i stopped talking to because she used to say really racist shit to me and like about other people Mm -hmm. and then one day because she used to ride the bus and she was talking about like an experience on the bus with people who were being loud and she was so frust- flustered and she's like, and then these black bitches and uh, I'm like, what? Ooh. And she's like, well, you know how they are. And it's like, what? Shelly Winters and Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> I was like, well, I feel like, you know, I, I wish I, I regret not taking the time to sort of school her on but why. But you were young too. and I, I was younger, yeah. I think, to, and that was in Minnesota. I, I was in my 20s, so. But that's not an excuse. I mean, I, I, I really regret not. I'm not trying to say I should have got her together, but I, I, I should have, you know, explained to her why not only is that um, a really unfair statement to make, but also like you're misinterpreting who I am as a person yeah. because yeah. I am not cool with this shit. And, you know, we, we could have had a very, I think, productive conversation. And I, and what I noticed is a lot of white people that surround themselves with people of color that aren't confronting them with that try to use those people of color as evidence like see they accept me for saying these things which i also feel like that i i feel like i'm often like a like a tool or an accessory for some people you become uh, something in their uh, 
that makes them that you're complicit in their racism. But that's probably why I don't have a lot of friends because well, a lot of people say crazy shit. If if, because people do come at me kind of sideways, and then when they realize that I am nowadays, like now Mm -hmm. that I'm older, like if you say something crazy, I'm definitely gonna respond to it. So I feel like people get put off by me very quickly. Yes. Well, nobody wants to be. It's like, you know, nobody wants to be corrected or feel like they made a faux pas, but you know, no, and it's not about me walking around trying to correct people, but you have to get over yourself. We're all going to, we're all in ignorance about something. We are. I just think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, matters relating to the movie, like you people, like this interracial relationship between a black woman and a white man, a white Jewish man. And, and, you know, another point I wanted to make, because I saw one of the comments about like, isn't it also about them being Muslim and the other family being Jewish and how that is kind of compounding the situation. And that's true. But both of these children are, haven't divorced themselves from the religion of their parents, but clearly aren't uh, strictly adhering to it. That actually could have, I mean, I mentioned in the video that that would have been interesting because Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character does make a comment about um, the minister Louis Farrakhan and some of the comments he made about Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And then, and I thought like, Oh yeah, this is, this is provocative. Like let's get into this. And then they just drop it. They do. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's all I wanted to mention. Okay. Films released. We didn't cover something called Cairo conspiracy. Uh, yes. Which I actually covered out of the Cannes film festival last year when it was called boy from heaven uh, from Egyptian filmmaker Tarek Sala, which I think won an award. And I wasn't that all that impressed with that. I think his previous film, The Nile Hilton Incident, was better. And he did that movie with Chris Pine um, that we reviewed. It was called The Contractor. Anyway, Hmm. uh, that opened this week. Compromat? Yes, uh, which, excuse me, I've watched half of. uh, I was going to cover for our site. Uh, French filmmaker Jérôme Salle starring Gilles Lelouch and uh, the Polish actor Joanna Kulig who's playing a Russian. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't know how it ends yet, but it's about a French, a Frenchman living with his wife and young daughter in some small area of Russia, and the wife does not want to be there. They're clearly not in love anymore. Uh, suddenly he's arrested and accused of molesting his daughter with his wife going back to France. And uh, we learned that a compromat has been put out against him, which is this compromising his situation. Mm. Life upside down. Uh, Cecilia Minucci uh, directed this movie, which sounds like a COVID film about a couple having to confront themselves, which I'm not interested in watching again, another version of, but Bob Odenkirk, who I do like and Rada Mitchell and Danny Houston. I'll star in it. That came out on Friday. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't want to watch this movie. Uh, Diane Keaton is locked into another uh, indie rom-com hell, it looks like. But uh, Michael Jacobs, who's making his debut but is a notable producer, assembled a very uh, surprising cast for this movie, which includes Susan Sarandon and Emma Roberts and Richard Gere. And I don't really know what it's about, but a look at the poster made me feel like I didn't want to make time for it when I had so many other films to watch and something called fear i did want to watch this i don't think this i don't think this premiered for press or uh, screen for press and well, i D- oh you know what i thought it was by dion cole oh no don't get that excited but you, i got excited it's directed by dion taylor okay. but you've seen many dion taylor films like like the intruder oh yes uh 
Fatal with Michael Ely and Hillary. Oh Swain. yes, uh, Meet the Blacks too. Which yes, is that's right. Egregiously terrible. And I I've seen Black and Blue with uh, God, I'm blinking on her name from Moonlight. Uh, Naomi Harris and uh, Tyrese. <laughs> well, you know I don't like Tyrese. I don't care for him as a, a the screen presence usually. If either. we're if if you're gonna make this a, a Steven Spielberg hate podcast, I'm gonna make this a Tyrese. <laughs> I don't hate Steven Spielberg. I just think the Fablemans is not the Fablemans is not a bad movie, but it's not an interesting or very good film. It's a very personal film from a very notable person. Anyway, fear. Anyway, that came out, which sounds interesting. Okay, well, it's been a very busy week. Um, but we did watch one movie for fun, which I wish we would have made like the secret movie because I think I may love this film. I think it's pretty good. Okay. I'm talking about the 1993 American erotic thriller written and directed by Nicholas Kazan called Dream Lover. Mm-hmm. Come rescue me, Mariah Carey. Uh, oh, actually, I think the song Dream Lover came out in... It might have been 95. Okay. But anyway, this movie, we were up. It was my bedtime. Uh-huh. But it was a little too early to go to bed. Because sure. usually if I go to bed, like, if I try to go to bed around 10, Nick is like, I can tell he doesn't want me to go to bed that early. No, you can't. You can so usually I'd be like, well, you can put on something mm-hmm. and I'll probably fall asleep during it, which I normally do. Yes. And you put this shit on and it. It's riveting. It was. I was surprised because I've passed bypassed this film so many times, thinking, "Oh, I already know what this is going to be." I'm... It stars James Spader, mm-hmm. your sister's crush. Yeah, who I don't quite get. I don't. <laughs> I don't either. And a woman named Madchen Amik. Madchen Amik, I th- um, uh, which uh, who is stunning. She's stunning. You know her though from Sleepwalkers. I don't remember her, but she is stunning. She is, and and Twin Peaks. Uh, and her name means her first name means girl. Her last name means friend girlfriend this lady she's beautiful is yeah yeah. i mean there isn't a single thing about her that i would say like she it was just so like watching her on screen is like damn i mean he calls her riveting in the film and it's like she is the basic story is we meet james spader and he's like this rich architect and he's like going through his divorce proceedings from this nicole kibben lookalike and we find out that he has a history of like domestic abuse. Like he has slapped her. Mm-hmm. She says, he says he just pushed her in the face. Like, boy, that's not okay. Either. And he's like, but you just cheated on me. So, you know, how else? So you deserved that? it. But anyway, he bumps into this, literally bumps into, uh, Ma- how are you saying her name? Majin Amik. Majin? Am I saying that wrong? No, I just couldn't figure out how to say it. He bumps into her at like an art gallery showing and spills wine on her and she goes off. Like, excessively Mm -hmm. and then late the next scene is he bumps into her at a grocery store and she is sweet as pie Mm -hmm. and they go on like a little date then the next time he sees her she's acting all depressed so she's already like exhibiting signs of a crazy 1990s erotic thriller lady there are so many red flags by the time he goes there and then the reason she's all downtrodden is because she's like i really really like you they get married we fast forward like two years they have a kid Mm -hmm. basically he finds out that she the first gag, which is not that difficult to predict, is that she's not who she says she is. No. She's created this persona, but really she's from this small town in Texas, mm-hmm. and her parents are like, yeah, I don't like yeah. to use the word. How would you describe her parents? Rednecks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but then the extra gag is, not only is she lying about her identity, which he was able to get past, 
but she sought him out. She had seen him like five years prior to meeting him and set her sights on him because she wanted to marry a rich man, Mm -hmm. take his money and move on. She's a psychopath. Yeah. She ends up getting him committed by pretending. Well, he did punch her in the face. Uh, Well, she just gives him enough rope to hang himself with. Yeah. She tells him like, I've been cheating on you. And she leaves this devious game with all these clues that it's so fun to watch and then she all culminates with her like yeah i'm sleeping with this man and he digs me down so much better than you mm-hmm. and all those bruises yeah he knows how to work me and then james spader gets so mad he punches the shit out i of her. screamed at the screen you have never seen well i don't know there's that movie with jonah hill where he punches that one lady um it's the lady who's in the movie the drop the really funny lady who always plays the same kind of Jillian character. Bell? Yes. Oh, is it Rough Night? No. There's a movie with her and Jonah Hill, and he punches her. And I immediately thought of that, because you it's rare you see a man hit a woman like this. But he cold-cocked her. I her mean, face. he punched the shit he, out of her. And he punched this beautiful face. Like, and she's so... I mean, not that you should... It's okay to no, punch no, other bitches. No, it's okay but to like, punch. But it's just like, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, he hits her. And she's like, okay. And immediately she gets a smile on her face Mm -hmm. and you see her drop a chair and like she tips over a chair Mm -hmm. and immediately I knew what she was going to do. She's going to set up the scene like he terrorized her. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, when he comes back home, her psychiatrist is there with the police and they commit him. (laughs) And then she has him committed. Mm -hmm. But the you have to, I have to ruin the movie. Sure. The the extra extra gag the the thing that sent me into the stratosphere that I think that I love this movie is the end of the movie is James Spader is been committed to like a mental facility mm-hmm. and he's only there we're told for 180 days mm-hmm. and I don't know why he couldn't just sit his ass there for six months and be quiet he devises this plan that since he's been deemed insane and he's lost everything anyway because she's taken all his money. He tells he convinces old girl to come visit him at the insane asylum because he says he gets the message to her that there was one mistake in your plan. Mm-hmm. So of course her arrogant psychopathic ass wants to find out what that was. And he the final scene is he's like, bitch, you had me deemed insane. So if I kill you, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. And he kills her, and the movie ends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and didn't i tell you the only like this movie would be perfect if he just kills her mm-hmm. and he sure did and yeah. literally he strangles her and when she drops dead we go the to the credits ends. this is a four out of five for me i i quite <laughs> liked it it's funny that roger ebert somebody gave it a positive review but says it falls apart in the last five minutes and i disagree completely oh no this like, is what you want well but it wasn't a hit nicholas kazan is the son of Elia Kazan and the father of Zoe Kazan, uh, Oscar nominated screenplay writer, screen, screen, screenwriter who had, had just been nominated for a reversal of fortune, which is it's an ex, that's what Jeremy Irons won for, uh, an excellent film. But I, yeah, you know why I like this movie because a lot of these erotic thrillers always have it like there's a good one and a bad one, mm-hmm. and clearly this per, and it's like both of these people are, well, she's sick. Mm-hmm and demented and he's just an asshole like a narcissistic controlling asshole and when you get those two together and the games they play and they both ruin their life i mean one got her ass killed and the other one has ruined his life because even though he because he does say like i'll be let out of the insane asylum for killing you in a few years and Mm -hmm. then i'm good 
well, you're not good because you'll be a convicted murderer yeah, and your job and your, your career is over, but your children will be who knows where. But I just love that it went to places that you don't normally see, mm-hmm. like him being violent. There was some dialogue. I, I, it was three and a half for me because there was some dialogue that was like crunchy, okay, a little crunchy. It is. But- and then um, we meet Nadchen's. She's from like Peru or Piru, Texas, mm-hmm. the small town. And when we meet her ex, He's like this impossibly attractive man that they try to make look dusty. He looks like the kind of white people that make it into a Tyler Perry production. Yeah, like super hunky with long hair and perfect teeth. Mm-hmm. But then they make him look like all he does is chain smoke and get covered. Like he's like a like a mechanic. Um, but yeah, I I would love to watch that. You know, we should. I can think of some people we should watch it with. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was good. Like my sister. Uh, yeah. Highly, highly. And recommend. not to be confused with the 1986 Dream Lover starring Christy McCullough from, uh, I think that's who stars Matt, from Alan J. Pakula, which is not as good. But let's move on. Projects of interest. Ghostbusters Afterlife. They're making another fucking sequel. And the only With reason- the kid from, uh, with Paul Rudd, that, that movie? Yeah. Which I haven't seen. You haven't seen, but uh, the only reason I bring it up is all the OGs are going to make another cameo in it. Could you please leave them alone? Just, just but Segovia might be in it. She will be. Yeah, that's the you know I do daily searches on her, and I know that she's she's gonna be in it. I just don't. Next, something called Cast. Uh, Ava DuVernay finally has a new project that has a fantastic cast. It's gonna be led by Anjanou Ellis, also Nisi Nash, Betts, Vera Farmiga, John Bernthal. Mm. Uh, yeah, sounds very interesting. Lastly, something called Weapons. Zach Kreger has scored a awesome sounding deal with i think new line cinema for his follow-up to barbarian uh which is a horror film that's going to be in the style of pt anderson's uh magnolia and he has uh, magnolia crawford oh yeah i i already know speaking of magnolia we went to magnolia bakery yesterday to get some of their famous banana pudding there's good it made me want to make my own again now if you're in la or um you're visiting i would highly recommend if somebody can give me patty labelle's recipe which i found hard to find for banana. oh so, i made paula deans which is also very good so if i so my favorite banana pudding is patty labelle's banana pudding available at walmart there's not a lot of banana in that there isn't but no. it's um that's my favorite and yeah uh the, if someone knows that recipe send it our way nick did make paula deans which was very good it has um those cookies those chessman cookies yeah which was very good mm-hmm. magnolia's i like it because it's not too sweet sure um and for people who don't know i believe that's the new york city bakery that became famous like in sex in the city there's one in la not too far from us Mm -hmm. so but we don't go often anymore but i'm going to take one final break okay today's secret movie was my selection Mm -hmm. this was something that was um requested a while ago and I thought it'd be appropriate for the upcoming holiday. holiday. It's the 1993 American fantasy comedy film directed by Harold Ramis called Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe Groundhog Day? Uh, the holiday. Well, it's not. It's more like a. Oh, tradi- it's not a holiday. It's more like a tradition. You don't give a shit about Groundhog Day, but I, yeah, I guess it's a tradition. But it's basically. Um, it derives from the Pennsylvania Dutch superstition that if a groundhog emerges from its burrow on this day, February 2nd, and sees its shadow due to clear weather, it will retreat to its den and winter will go on for six more weeks. Mm-hmm. If it does not see its shadow because of cloudiness, spring will arrive early. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'd never seen Groundhog Day. You, as a child... Oh, this was a favorite in the household. My dad really liked this film. I thought it was very good. Yeah, it's very entertaining. Bill Murray is like a fine, fine example of a comedic actor. I agree. And also apparently a shitty person. Uh, But aside from that, he uh, he's a very fine comedic actor. So a classic uh, comedic actor syndrome. Uh... I I do think that his him as an actor. Well, we'll talk about it. But anyway, the basic story is very simple. Bill Murray plays a meteorologist who um, is assigned to go to uh, that place in Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney, to do coverage for Groundhog Day. And he's being himself, which is like an asshole. Mm-hmm. He's self-absorbed, narcissistic, all the things. Kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, who he also played. And the, so he's the the talent, as he says. And then Andy McDowell is the producer and Chris Elliott is the cinematographer, the camera person. Mm-hmm. So he does his thing. He's a dick to everyone. And when he wakes up the next morning, the day repeats. And the entire movie is just his day repeating. And the only way for him to get out of it is that he needs to be of value to someone other than himself. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and also discover the value of others. Right. So he ends up doing that by, you know, of course, like maybe the first half of his, you know, repeating day is him just enjoying, like manipulating and taking advantage of it. And then he realizes that really what he wants is Andy McDowell's character. So he's still being a creep, but then through that process, he realizes that, you know, caring about other people and their happiness is important too. And mm-hmm. then he ends up winning over Andy McDowell by just being a decent person. Which is hard to do because she, her impression to him part of that day is he's a dick. Right. And then over the 24-hour period, make her realize the exact opposite. Yeah. And he does so by, you know, repeating every day, learning more and more about her and his the world around him. And so... I thought it it was a very interesting story. And then, of course, she does end up falling for him and gives him a kiss. And then when he buys him in an auction and then she actually buys him in an auction. So the next morning when he wakes up at 6 a.m., which is when the day always repeats, it doesn't repeat. She's still in bed with him and they decide to stay in that small town. Uh, I can just start going through my notes if that's okay. Mm hmm. The opening of the movie, which you commented on, the theme song, I'm Your Weatherman, uh, is like a meteorological themed mm-hmm. song, which I thought was funny. I don't think I've ever heard. I neither. I don't even think It's Raining Men is uh, <laughs> that on the nose. But I thought the opening song was funny. What the fuck is Blood Sausage? Have you had that? I haven't had that. I don't want what that. What is it? It's, uh, isn't it raw? I should have looked. This Isn't that up. like head cheese? Blood blood sausage is a sausage filled with blood that is cooked or dried and mixed with a filler until it is thick enough to solidify when cooled. Mm-hmm. Oh no! You, you you've seen it in places. Uh, I, maybe I didn't realize because it looks like regular sausage. I don't want it. I don't want that. Oh yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, there's a scene where someone asks Bill Burr if he wants that, and the look on his face. Um, the place what's gobbler's knob that's where the is that where he's staying or that's where the pucks the that's the, where the public's gathering for <laughs> for the punxsutawney phil i thought that was funny yeah i was like is this a gay cruising area the 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 morning when bill murray wakes up and realizes that the day may have repeated and he's still kind of like this can't be real 
he's talking to Andy McDowell and he's like, I need a good hard slap. And she couldn't have slapped him faster. <laughs> I don't even think he finished the statement no. and she slapped the shit and out of him. And then Chris Elliott's like, I'm, I'm here if you need me too. Yeah. It's kind of like when they killed BB Newworth at the beginning of the faculty and both of them like, I always wanted to do that. Yeah. I thought that was <laughs> funny. Well, actually we should tell who wrote this. Do you know? Um, oh, Danny Rubin. Yes. Are you familiar with Danny Rubin? Uh, he well, Harold Ramis wrote it, the screenplay, but Danny Rubin has the story credit. Oh, oh, um, but I thought it was very good comedy writing. But who also to, wrote that movie SFW from the nineties? I think Bill Murray like sends it because he's really the only funny thing in the movie. And Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott are both playing it straight, yes. really. And then there's no one else who's funny. Um, but Bill Murray's doing what he probably a lot of it is improvised as well. He's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he is very good at this style of acting mm -hmm. and i i was thoroughly amused right after this it made me want to rewatch what about bob yeah i i almost wanted to too but it was like 12 30 in the morning yeah. so you can't tell me adrian brody's not in this movie but you said it's someone else that's the guy that plays Stu the meat guy from uh strangers, strangers with, with candy. candy but yes he has a he plays bill's psychiatrist yes. <laughs> um there so it's an interesting trajectory because initially, of course, he's in shock and then he spends time sort of playing with the idea. And then inevitably, as you would expect, he gets bored with it. Mm -hmm. And it's during that boredom that he starts doing crazy shit like running from the cops and drunk driving. And at one point when he's running from the cops, he gets on the railroad track and the cops follow him. Mm -hmm. Do you think the cops would like chase someone on a railroad track from a small town? That I just mean, seems so dumb. It does. Uh, when Bill is overeating for the first time at the diner with Andy McDowell and she's trying to be like, like, because she's a beautiful woman who clearly yes. takes care of herself. And then Bill Murray looks like hell. Mm -hmm. Cause how old is he in this movie? Like 43, I think. God, he looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, he never looked great, but it, I just thought it it's so funny. Like, I hate when people try to tell me about like what I'm eating and what I mm -hmm. shouldn't eat. And cause what's the first thing you think? Well, cause there are two scenarios. Like you always bring up that one time you were buying chicken and this bulbous looking girl came up and this big said, old lady approached Nick talking about like, you know, all the shit they pump in this chicken. She's it's like, like <laughs> it's bulbous because it's filled with steroids. And it's like, well, then what's your bitch? Story? You're bulbous because yeah. you're filled with little Debbie or big <laughs> Deborah. Like, I mean, or the other scenario is someone who's very like fit and healthy. And then when they tell you shit about it, it's like, oh, that also makes me hot. Well, right. Like, go away. I'm not trying to be you. Okay. I'm trying to enjoy this goddamn chicken sandwich. Okay, <laughs> like, leave me alone. But I thought that was a really funny scene. Um, I think the story is interesting to talk about because it is very, you know, I know it's meant, it's probably like a lot of people liked it as like a fun comedy, mm -hmm. but I think it's actually really twisted because we see him manipulating women. Oh, for sure. And clearly it's just for sex. Uh -huh. So he's meeting women he finds attractive. And of course, initially they're like, boy, bye. But then he starts asking them questions, learning about he them. He knows information about them. And then he uses that to disarm them. And then we know, we don't really see it, but we, you know that he's having sex with these women. And I think that's a really creepy underlying sort of thing that's happening in the film. Um, I thought that, so when he first tries, so he, we see him interact with like a, 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 a number of women before he tries to get on Andy McDowell mm -hmm. and they go have a drink. And I really like how it's edited and done because he, you know, they sit at the bar, they order a drink, 
and then it's not really going well. And then we restart and he orders the same drink as her, mm -hmm. which was a sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist, mm -hmm. which I don't know what the fuck Sounds that is. Good. But yeah, we should go order it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and what, so when he orders it and he takes a sip of it, the face he made, I thought that was so funny. I, it makes me want to watch like a bunch of Bill Murray movies. Now. He was, I mean, in the eighties, nineties, yeah, he was pretty damn good. But again, kind of maybe always the same. But you know what else is insidious about this too is it's suggesting that men have to get something out of their system, like get things that yeah. they think are owed to them, their experiences that they need to have before they are made to realize, like, oh, none of that means anything. But I had to go or fuck it up all yes, the time. For yes, or yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing about it that's so creepy. But I, I also think that, you know, talking about if we're just making a blanket statement about men like him, this character, having no regard for like, this person doesn't want you. Mm -hmm. The reason they're attracted to you now is because you're fooling them. Mm -hmm. And that makes you feel okay? I don't know. I, you know, maybe I because I haven't never had a difficult time getting what I want. I just think like, I, I wouldn't want something that I have to like fool. Someone. Oh God, no, no. And, but people do that. They do that because I think they've also never experienced something when something, something that's genuine feels so much different. You, you know, it, I, I think that people that have to play those kind of games and use those kind of tricks are trying to get a need satisfied that can't be, they feel that can't be met. You know, I'm sure I've interacted with way. people who weren't satisfied or I wasn't what they wanted, but that's not my fault because yeah. I know I don't feel bad. Cause like, I know I presented myself like me, it's, mm -hmm. you know, this was me. And I guess you were desperate that day. I don't know why, but that's not my problem. But I'm talking about like, like st people straight up fool people. Yeah. Catfishing. Mm -hmm. Right. But I mean, even, yeah, yeah, basically, but that shit is wild to me. I just lost all my notes. Hold on. Do you want to fill in the gap while I'm trying to figure out what happened? It was shot by John Bailey, <laughs> who uh, filmed a couple of my favorite Paul Schrader films, like American Gigolo and Mishima, which I made you watch. Uh, and so it's also a Ghostbusters reunion because Harold Ramis is directing his co-star from that, Bill Murray. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it also made me want to rewatch Multiplicity, which Harold Ramis reunited with Andy McDowell. And we watched that trailer and I would watch it. Yeah. Which I... I I was reminded of that film earlier this week because of Infinity Pool hmm. as well. Uh, but, you know, he did the Analyze This and Analyze That films with De Niro. Uh, he did the Bedazzled remake with Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. There's a scene where Bill Murray's character runs away with the groundhog. Yes. Like the, the groundhog is driving a truck. And then you told me that he was bit twice pretty badly. Apparently pretty badly, yeah. And I could, and I bet it was that scene. I think so. Well, and he's saying, don't drive angry. And I read that that Nicolas Cage movie, Drive Angry, that's a reference to the line from this movie. But, oh, interesting. That um, that groundhog, groundhogs look creepy. That was creepy. Because it keeps moving its mouth like it's chewing. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell that he's trying to hold it up on the yeah. steering wheel. And then I bet the times it bit him was like that because then you see the groundhog kind of going over the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And I bet Bill was trying to pull it down. Mm -hmm. And that thing probably turned around and bit his ass. But yeah, that was creepy. Well, and it's like, chattering at him in one part there's a scene when bill is driving the truck or and oh it's the same scene then he crashes mm -hmm. and andy mcdowell and chris elliott see him and the the truck like drives over a cliff mm -hmm. and it hits the bottom and they go he might be okay and then the truck immediately explodes 
that kind of comedy works very well for me. Mm-hmm. Then something else I really connected with is there's a suicide montage. I thought mm-hmm. that was really funny because <laughs> it's just like there's no hope. Um, and it's so funny. This is rated PG. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Um, I thought a really good scene is when Andy and Bill are in the diner that he eats in all the time. And he's trying to explain to her that he's a god. Maybe not the god, but he's a god. And she's like, you're not a god. You're not a god. And you're so arrogant. And he's like, no, I think he and he's like, no, I think I am because like, I can't die. And I know everything. And then it's a really great scene where he's basically trying to show her like, I know everything about everyone in this fucking diner. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen next. And then it's through that that she believes him. Well, he's got a really good line there, I think. Yeah, I, I didn't write it down, but oh, I, but but, like, but overall, I thought it was very good. Maybe God's just been around so long. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that was a very good line that he goes. Maybe God is not like like we think he's omniscient, but maybe it's just that he's been around so long. He just knows, he knows everything. everything. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that was a very good line. Uh, oh, so he he's building up to trying to impress her, and part of that is playing the piano. So he he has to learn to play piano within 24 hours every day. Mm-hmm. So the first time he goes to the piano teacher, she's doing a, a lesson and she's like, well, I can help you tomorrow. I'm in the middle of something. He's like, I'll pay you $1,000 right now. And that lady's like, come on in. And then right away we see her kick the little girl. <laughs> and the little girl's like, she's just looking around like, damn. Okay, I think another really interesting thing about this movie is that you said, you know, of course, people who like it have counted the number of days that goes by, mm-hmm. and I guess the, the number is 38. We may see 38 different days, but I believe that the fun part about this movie is that we don't know. We don't know and I believe it could have been hundreds of days, maybe yeah. maybe thousands of days that went by before he got to the point. He definitely didn't learn how to play the piano in 38 days. Or learn French. Or learn French, or... You know, and then even the diner scene when he knows everything about everyone, it's like that took more than 38 years. So I think that's actually a a really fun thing to think about when I think about this movie. And Michael Shannon making his debut. Who was so cute. He was cute. You didn't believe. I was like, that. that's Michael Shannon. Because I thought Michael Shannon is the same age as Bill Murray. No, no, no. (laughs) Because Michael Shannon's not, he's under 50. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he looks a little rotary rugged rough uh, well i don't think he looks bad but i, I don't think so if either. you would have asked me i would have thought he's like close to 60 maybe oh my god no yeah uh but no yeah he was so young and cute what would you give groundhog day three and a half i would give it three and a half and the reason i give it three and a half is because while bill murray is like a master at comedic acting i think that part of the reason why is he has this sort of like deadpan douchey or to him that he can't escape so i think because you know this movie feels a lot to me like a christmas carol Mm -hmm. and i think what makes a christmas carol so powerful is we see the transition of an ebenezer scrooge type person into someone who's like a human being with feelings and bill murray never gets there he wasn't scrooged you know I mean, does he make a transition in Scrooge? He he does, but the thing that always bothered me about that is uh, his assistant, played by Elfrey Woodard, like there's never really, there needed to be. He never reconciles how he treated her. her Yeah, I feel like in this movie, Bill Murray seems the same from beginning to end. And I don't believe that he learned a lesson. I feel like he just, he was always focused on getting what he wanted and he learned how to get it. And I don't like that. 
Like, I don't feel like he's a changed person. Sure. I think he just adapted. It's not like it's a wonderful life. Right? No. So, you know, and I think that's because it's Bill Murray. And he's so strong in that in that one part. Like, he as an actor is so good at giving that one thing. But I don't think Bill Murray can give, like, warm human. But yet, but yet he's not like Chevy Chase, who kind of has you know, really a similar persona. I think, yeah, that's a good example. I think Chevy Chase can also never transcend coming across like a dick. And I think really was. And I probably, and I think Bill Murray's also probably awful, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, but it makes one well, in Ch Chevy Chase's case. I don't think it makes her a great comedic actor, but no. for Bill Murray, it does. You know what the difference is? Chevy thought he was good looking. Yeah. There, well, Bill, and there's a little more self, you know, self-deprecation is always goes a long way. It goes a long way. And Chevy Chase does not give us that at no. all. Mm -mm. He thinks he's better than. All right. Well, that's it for Groundhog Day. Thank okay. you to the person who recommended it. Uh, I, I keep saying I know I have to do Revolutionary Road. It's coming. It's coming. Nick, Nick bought the DVD. So Blu-ray. Oh, excuse me. The Blu-ray. The 4K Blu-ray. <laughs> um, so that's coming. This week, I don't know what's coming. M. Night Shyamalan, new film by him. And we, we watched 80 for Grady or? Oh, yeah, we got to film that today. Yeah, I don't know when that comes out. Uh, next Friday. Oh. Uh, and then we're seeing a special screening of Set It Off tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Is the director? No, it's the, the director, F. Gary Gray. He's not going to be there. Oh. Uh, or one of those ladies would be great too. But I think they might show up. It's just, a, yeah, you never know. It, it, the production designer oh or set designer it's somebody from the film's crew is talking about it we should make a video about set it off sure i mean i haven't seen it since like 2009 uh we own it of course but i i, I didn't seen it this came out when i was too young to see on the big screen so it's gonna be kind of exciting for me i don't recall much of it except queen latifah i remember like in high because what year was it 96 i think i remember people talking about like oh she's playing this like lesbian mm -hmm. and like how good she is at being this lesbian <laughs> and like everyone thinks she's a lesbian but then kimberly elise who i like and uh vivica which is funny because when that movie came out i was graduating with a classmate who i was friendly with who ended up being queen latifah's partner oh yeah x years who later i've met as well yeah randomly at a movie premiere so <laughs> I, so that's funny but yeah i don't have anything else do you uh no just uh the last guest of sundance because i have a couple awards winning films to watch but uh oh we didn't even talk about you watch part of the stroll I think that's worth, worth talking about. But anyway. Well, we can talk about yeah. it when I do watch it. Well, I would assume we're making a video if, for the stroll, right? If you watch the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, might as well. Oh, but that's not going to be for a while. Sure. We, we, can, we might as well wait. <clears throat> well, do I have access to it now? I'll have to see. Oh, anyway. Is that all? Ta-ta. Mm -hmm.